Upon the current issues and the Constitution show, Professor Wilson will encourage you to stay informed and read the U.S. Constitution. The show is intended to shine a light on current issues that impact your daily life. Professor Wilson has twice received the American History Teacher of the Year Award in the state of West Virginia and is the recipient of many honors. He served in the armed forces and is currently a college professor. He is a true patriot who believes the understanding of the Constitution is key to our future and our future freedoms rest with informed youth. Please join us live where you can ask questions or listen on your time. Just follow the show feed to receive the latest shows delivered right to you. Don't miss any of these informative episodes. Are you ready? Take out a copy of the U.S. Constitution, a notepad, and let's get ready to learn. Hi and welcome. My name is Felice Gerwitz and I am here with Professor Wilson and a copy of the Constitution. So I can keep track and keep up and, and my notepad here because uh, this is a pretty fast-paced show even though uh, we do record for about an hour. Um, there really is a lot of, of information that we're covering. So welcome Professor Wilson and we have a lot to cover after the last uh, seven days since our last show. Yes, we do, Felice, and thank you, and hello, everyone. A great deal has happened, but as I was listening to that ad and the Constitution uh, was mentioned, I wanted to first begin by uh, reviewing some vocabulary we had last time, like partisanship and polarization. Partisanship is basically a partisan is a strong supportive supporter of a party or a cause, in the case of American uh, current issues, um, we're talking about a political party, Democrat or Republican. And then, of course, there are people who don't want to belong to either party, and we call them independents. And we have about 200 other parties. Uh, we have a Socialist Party, a Communist Party, an American Way Party. We've got a Constitution Party. We have a Tea Party. Uh, so there are several parties um, that... Um, try to get people elected to Congress to try to get uh, their way out there presented um, on the issue. But when it comes to partisanship, basically we're talking about people dividing and disagreeing over the issues. Well, there's nothing in the Constitution uh, that provides for that at all, not even a whisper that could be interpreted uh, to mean that political parties are constitutional. It's just not there. So that is just something that happened naturally, and it happened in the second year of the founding of the new government under the Constitution of the United States of America. And it essentially began in a philosophical disagreement between Secretary of Treasury Alexander Hamilton and Secretary of State Thomas Jefferson. The partisanship and the polarization, that means divided, like North and South Pole, that far apart, that developed, led to the resignation two years later, at the end of Washington's first term, of Thomas Jefferson. So Jefferson basically uh, goes back to Monticello, and I think he went to France in that period briefly and came back. And then he ran for the presidency against John Adams and lost, then ran again and won. And by the time you get to 1800, you've got a two-party system. It was really starting during Washington's first administration, but it becomes full-fledged. There was a Federalist Party, and at first they called the uh, Jefferson, Jeffersonian people the Anti-Federalists, and then they were the Democrat-Republicans, and then they were... Uh, Republicans, and then that basically faded away, and, and parties are going to come and go until 1836, when Andrew Jackson is president for eight years. He establishes the Democratic Party, and it has, you know, the Democratic Party today's history goes right back to that very time period. And it was the election of Abraham Lincoln that really established the Republican Party. So Republicans can today call themselves the Party of Lincoln. So no constitutional provision or proscriptions against political parties. They're just a natural occurrence in a democratic system. 
In a totalitarian system, there is one party, fascist, Nazi, communist, and you better not criticize them because you're going to end up someplace you don't want to be. So there's, those are basically one-party systems. But in a democratic society where people are free to express their opinions, uh, freedom of speech, and all of those other things, and, and to take a position, then it, it just becomes basically institutionalized, and it becomes the way we do things. Actually, it works pretty well. A two-party system gives you a stable election. Uh, on election day, especially for the presidency, you don't have 10 candidates out there uh, vying for the people's vote. A two-party system basically uh, makes it stable and more meaningful. We can see, clearly see the issues. But these parties and the issues, um, current issues that this course is going to deal with, the current parties are based on their disagreement, their philosophical disagreement and viewpoints on all of the issues. So the second thing that we talked about was the debt limit. What is the debt limit? Periodically, Congress passes a debt limit saying that government can spend no more than a specific amount of money. Last time it was uh, $17 trillion, and that debt limit just keeps going up and up and up. Uh, the national debt, of course, is how much money the government owes, and it's over $17 trillion now. And as we said, that is your debt. You will pay for it. And, of course, as we know, Republicans wanted to, they basically they wanted to fund government, and they wanted to raise the debt limit, but with the provision that there would be spending cuts, basically the philosophy of limited government. And Democrats would have none of that. Now, we'll talk about what happened later, but the debt limit is a key issue. Now, last time we said that, um, that I, I think I, we were talking about how uh, somebody asked the question. That's right. Somebody asked the question, what will happen if they don't raise the debt limit? And, um, and I, I said, honestly, I don't know what's going to happen, and we don't know because this is unprecedented. It has never happened before. That is, Congress has never refused to raise a debt limit. And at that point, we weren't sure what was going to happen. And the next day, after we talked, uh, they did agree to that compromise, and the debt limit was set off back into February. But somebody asked a very good question, and, and uh, apparently you folks are doing some great research and paying attention. Uh, the United States government has defaulted twice, but not because Congress refused to raise the debt limit. Now, in 1979, let me read you an excerpt from an article by Emma Rowley on a media source called The Telegraph. She says, the United States has technically defaulted on its debt, failed to meet its payment obligations to holders of its treasuries as recently as 1979. The cause? Problems with the office equipment as deadlines approached, according to officials, which left a relatively tiny amount of debt repayments unmet for a few weeks. Back in 17, excuse me, 1979, mirror, mirroring today's events, recent events, Republicans were refusing to allow Democratic President Jimmy Carter to raise the U.S. debt ceiling. The approval to raise that debt ceiling did come at the last minute, but amid all that drama, the checks did not get written. Officials blamed a breakdown of, guess what, word processing equipment. And back in the 1970s and early 80s, um, there were a lot of problems with technology, so not surprising that this would happen. I was also interested, and I didn't know this story, and I'm glad um, the questioner brought this up. In the, during the War of 1812, uh, one of the first things that happened was the British invaded and burned Washington, D.C. James Madison gathered his wife, Dolly, and she grabbed the American flag and other precious records, and they took off heading west to escape capture. You don't want the commander-in-chief to be captured. So just a few months after that, uh, the Treasury 
of course, was unable to move precious metal enough to service its debt. And so they missed the interest payments on bonds. So, of course, they couldn't pay the debt. They couldn't do anything because the government was basically burned down and um, locked in uh, to British control. So those were the two defaults, and really nothing happened. Nothing serious happened. The economy didn't collapse. The world didn't go up in smoke or all those kinds of things that you're hearing today in this polarized political climate that we've created. And again, uh, based on last Thursday's plan, Congress has never refused to raise the debt limit. If it did, it's difficult to say what would happen. One thing is for sure, government spending would contract, and to many of us that would be a good thing. And the other thing is that the government would no longer be able to pay the interest on the debt to all those countries and businesses mainly that have bought those treasury bonds that collectively represent the debt. Okay? Now, if anybody is unclear on any of those things, I get your question in. One thing I would like to say before we go on is that, that uh, this is my opinion, I guess, but it's based on solid fact in many, many years of study and ob observation, and that is that the, the government of the United States is going to default unless responsible cuts in spending and programs are put in place. And I don't know when that's going to be. Nobody knows. But it has to happen. If you go to U.S. Debt Clock online, a, a, the debt clock will come up. I, some of you have seen this before in uh, classes in the previous two years. And uh, take a look at the information that this thing provides. And you will see upon examination, that the national debt has already passed up and exceeds by more than a trillion dollars the gross domestic product, that is the total wealth of this nation. Now, as the gap between the GDP and the national debt expands, the time is going to come, just like it has in many European countries in the last two or three years, when the government can no longer pay for the programs that they have created, much less pay the interest on the debt or even pay off the debt. And as far as I know, there have been no attempts to pay down the principal on the debt, that's the $17 trillion, since Andrew Jackson was president. We just let it grow, knowing that in the future we're going to have to pay the piper there will have to be a default. There will have to be radical and draconian cuts in government programs. It's time to get those under control now. It's time to eliminate the annual deficit where Congress spends more money than they have. Now, I, Democrats don't even want to talk about that, and I hear Republicans saying that they have a 15-year plan to eliminate the deficit. And I would say to those Republicans, 15 years? Why not three years? Why 15 years? Are you, are you playing the big government game too? Is it about politics? Are you afraid of not being reelected? This thing has got to stop, and it's got to stop soon. You know, we have been talking about this and debating. It's been an issue here in America for the last 30 years. I remember during the Reagan administration, this was frequently talked about, about the debt we are handing to our children and our grandchildren. And we did hand that debt. The children of the 80s are now adults paying higher taxes than they ought to, ha ought to pay to fund government spending, and that includes the debt. So it's going to happen. And Americans... It, Republicans, what Republicans need to do, I mean the conservative Republicans, they need to find a way to get the message out to the American people. The American people just don't understand what the implications are and what the consequences can be. So this is a problem that just won't go away because the American people are basically uninformed, not paying attention, 
and not taking any action on election day. All right, so keep that in mind. Um, it is uh, perhaps our most serious threat to the, this nation. It must be dealt with. Now, moving along, since the last session, as you know, I am sure you followed this uh, as intently as I did. The Senate passed a bill, finally, in fact, uh, came down the very next day, that would basically put off the, it's essentially a clean resolution, extending the federal budget to January 15th, 2014, and in the same bill, uh, to extend the debt limit to February the 7th. So they didn't do anything with those. They just leave them the same uh, to be dealt with in January and February of 2014. But in the meantime, the sides agreed to establish a conference committee between the Senate and the House of 10 members each, equal number of Republicans and Democrats, 20 members altogether, that Monday will sit down and begin deliberations on cutting government spending, dealing with the national debt, dealing with a new budget. They're going to talk about how high to raise the debt limit and the spending limits are going to, that are going to be attached to that. All of that will take place in this conference committee. Basically, the Republicans will be headed up by Paul Ryan of the House of Representatives, Chairman of the Budget Committee, and Patty Murray, uh, the Senator, who is the Chairman of the Budget Committee in the Senate. Uh, they together will basically be co-chairs of this conference committee. So we can follow that for the next several weeks into January, January the 15th, uh, when this resolution essentially uh, comes due. So keep an eye on that. Now, on that resolution, this is kind of interesting. In the House of Representatives, the vote was 281 to 136, with 15 non-votes, to accept the resolution, to pass the resolution. Now, voting for that was 197 Democrats and 84 Republicans, 281 altogether. Voting against it was 136 Republicans. So it looks like we have 84 moderate Republicans in the House of Representatives, and they are outnumbered by 136 conservative, true conservative Republicans. Now, what these people will do, and it's going to be about a year from now, the next election, November of 2014, what they're going, what these conservative republics can, can, can do back in their states and back in their districts is say, I voted against debt limit uh, budget without spending limitations. My opponent voted for it. Um, so you can ho the people that voted for this um, could possibly, if things work out badly, be, have their feet held to the fire in the next election. And there is no doubt that this was part of the Republicans in the House of Representatives strategy to force votes to happen. And they can use those votes against the peop people that made them um, in the next election. And of course, the other thing was to uh, try to awaken the American people. I mean, they knew that Republicans knew, as we said before, that, uh, that repealing Obamacare was not going to happen, and delaying Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, is not going to happen. But it did raise the issue to the attention of America. The media was all over it, and Americans are hearing the story uh, day after day, if they're following the news at all. And a discussion occurs. So that, okay, Woody? Yes. Uh, there is a question here that that ties into that. Um, okay, you. The question. I'll just ask you the question. How how can Obamacare be repealed? So I think you went over a little bit about how it was passed in the first place. 
Right. Um, well, it was um, it was passed um, in 2008, 2009, 2010 when Democrats controlled both houses of Congress, mm-hmm. and they basically right. basically uh, rushed it through, rammed it through. Uh, they were pretty sure they were going to lose the House in the next election because that almost always happens. We elect a Republican president. Two years later, um, Democrats increase their seats in the House and the Senate. Uh, This has been going on historically. So they rushed it through. Um, The Speaker of the House at the time, Nancy Pelosi, even (laughs) was um, senseless enough to say, we've got to pass this bill, and then we can sit down and read it. Uh, so they mm-hmm. didn't really know what they had. So what it would take to repeal it in the legislative and executive sense is Republicans win the Senate and both houses of Congress in 2014, keep them in 2016, then elect a Republican president who says he will repeal it and agree, and then you have the same situation that um, the Democrats had when Obama was first elected, but now they're Republicans. They have the entire legislative and executive branch. Now they could repeal it. Now we tr- they tried to repeal it by suing it. It gets to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court upheld it, uh, mm-hmm. which was very, very strange, a very, very odd and strange decision. And please keep in mind, this is Tenth Amendment stuff. These powers should be reserved to the states. The federal government should have no part in health care or any other social program. And someday we need to get back to that. And if we did get back to that, we wouldn't have a national debt. Seventy to 75% of the national debt is coming from entitlement spending, Medicare, Medicaid, welfare, Social Security, um, and all of those other programs that take pe- uh, money away from people who earn it and give it to people who need it and don't earn it. So those programs need to be returned to the state. But a simple answer, I'm sorry I I kind of got into that a little more than I wanted to, but the simple answer to your question is how can it be repealed? Republicans need to capture both houses of Congress and the presidency at the same time. And even then, it will be hard to repeal. Okay, thank you. Certainly. Now, that was the House vote. Now, in the Senate, and this again, this resolution came from the Senate to the House, voting yes were 52 Democrats, 27 Republicans, and two independents for a total of 81 out of 100 votes. Voting no, zero Democrats, and 18 Republicans. So in the Senate, it looks like we have 27 Republicans that tend to the moderate and 18 hardcore Um, conservative members. One of the people that voted against it was a senator from Florida, and his name is Marco Rubio, and he had this to say. And I think he sums it up uh, for conservatives everywhere. He says, I cannot support this deal, he calls the resolution a deal, because it postpones any significant action on pro-growth and spending reforms and does nothing to provide working-class Americans even one shred of relief from Obamacare's harmful effects. So he wanted three things. He wanted to see three things, and he didn't see them in this resolution, so he voted against it. He wanted to see economic growth. He wanted to see pro-growth policy. Um, Basically, government hands off, put it in the free market, don't choke business to death. Secondly, he wanted to see spending reforms. What he wanted to see was limits on government spending towards eliminating the annual deficit and stopping or slowing the growth of the national debt. And he also wanted to see the Affordable Care Act delayed for six months or one year uh, until all the problems are worked out and the harm to the American people that is going to happen are dealt with. As a matter of fact, Senator Rubio on Monday will submit a bill to the Senate to delay implementation of the Affordable Care Act. And I don't see how it can pass. Democrats are not going to support it. Harry Reid, the majority leader, which and he has the powers of the Speaker of the House, he doesn't even have to put it up to a vote, and he probably won't. And that's what 
I think Republicans would like to see, they would like to see Democrats vote to against a delay in implementation. And then in the next election, you hold their feet to the fire. And while we're at it, um, Rand Paul is another Republican that voted no on the resolution. On Monday, he is going to submit a constitutional amendment, an amendment to the Constitution. And let's take a, um, a brief look at the Constitution, the amendment clause, or the amendment article. It's Article 5. If you would open to that, let's take a look. And I will give you a couple of minutes to read about the first two-thirds of it. That's the important part. Okay, and I hope you will um, spend more time studying this um, in the next couple of days until you uh, get it down pat, and don't be afraid to use the dictionary. But essentially what happens is, if there's going to be an amendment to the Constitution, it ha that, that amendment proposal has to be made by both houses of Congress, and it requires two-thirds votes in each house, which is very difficult to get. That's why we only have 27 constitutional amendments. In fact, only 17 since the Bill of Rights in 1791. So two-thirds. Now, you can do it by um, uh, state legislatures or state conventions, but that's never been done. Too messy, too difficult, uh, too unstable, let's say. So we've always asked Congress to make the proposal. So two-thirds vote in both houses. Now, in order to ratify it, it goes out to the states. The states vote, and it takes a three-fourths majority of the states voting yes for ratification for the amendment to become part of the Constitution. All right, so Rand Paul's amendment proposal is probably not even going to get past Congress, much less get to the state. But he wants to submit a proposal to require Congress to be subject to any law that it passes. And one of the things that just really and truly infuriates Americans, because one of the things about our Constitution, it basically sets up the template for fairness and justice. And the idea that Congress passes a law that causes us harm and forces and requires us to do something, yet they make themselves exempt from it. And not only that, we have to pay subsidies on their health care plan. We're not only paying their salaries, we have to pay for a portion of their health care, and nobody's paying for ours. So this amendment, if it should pass, and again, I'm sure that Rand Paul and other Republicans would like to see a vote on this, and we'll see who's going to vote um, with this very popular idea and who's going to oppose it. So we got two things coming up Monday. Rubio's bill to delay implementation of the Affordable Care Act, Rand Paul's constitutional amendment proposal requiring Congress to be subject to any law that it passes. So keep an eye on that and see what will happen. All right, in the next uh, few weeks and months, essentially the question, what next? Well, on the same day that the White House released its budget, Senator Patty Murray, whom I mentioned, and Representative Paul Ryan met together, a senator and a representative, and discussed how to move forward on the two budgets that essentially passed both of their houses last month. Now, the two didn't reach any agreement to take their very different budgets to conference, and this is a process to allow them to try to find common ground, and there is common ground in there in places, and reach a bipartisan agreement. Bipartisan as opposed to polarization is what we want, bipartisan instead of partisanship, when both sides come together and, like, like we say, find areas of common agreement. 
So, of course, in that meeting, that was not done, but they both said that this is what their ultimate goal is. In fact, they issued this joint statement. They, it says, we had a constructive discussion about moving forward under regular order. We recognize the many differences between the House and Senate budget resolutions and the challenge we face reaching an agreement. All right, so both, both of these folks are pretty level-headed people. They're not the kind of people, uh, Ryan and Murray, that yell and scream and call other people names and, and those kinds of things. They're more reasonable. Um, I, I think they will get along very well. Now, they're going to disagree on a lot of things, but um, I think that they will get a along well and may reason prevail and common ground be found. We've got to set a precedent someplace that says we are going to limit and we are going to cut government spending. It just has to be done. Their statement goes on to say, we are committed to, find, to working to find common ground we look forward to continuing the conversation as we move toward a conference committee. So I would think next week this conference committee will begin its work. It may be two weeks. Uh, sometimes the wheels of bureaucracy move very, very slowly. Um, but discussions should occur in October, November, December, into January. And by about midway through this course, we should have something from the conference committee. Now, what happens to whatever they come up with? Can you guess? Well, it's got to be passed by the House of Representatives, and it's got to be passed by the Senate, and it's got to be passed by the President. So with all of that being the reality, my prediction is the conference committee is not going to come up with much of anything. It's going to take a reforming election. Mm. All right. Well, we're going to take a small break here for a commercial, and we'll be right back. Wonderful. The American Government and Elections class is a remarkable look at the workings of the U.S. government, the election process, and how the Constitution sets the stage for the democracy that we enjoy today. This video series contains 32 hours of class recorded with a live audience taught by accredited AP and award-winning professor of American history, Robert Woodrow Wilson. This class is sure to energize your students with a love of learning. The classes are on demand on your time to view from the comfort of your own home. Created specifically for the high school level homeschooler, this AP level class can be enjoyed by students of all ages. Recorded and produced by Media Angels, a name you trust for quality products. Need more information? No problem. Go to MediaAngels.com and visit our class link. Or go to AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com and get ready to claim your seat. Hurry, because class is starting. Hi, and welcome back. My name is Felice Gerwitz, and we are talking about the aftermath and fallout after last week's uh, uh, stalemate and, uh, you know, the raising of the debt limit and all kinds of uh, things that could be happening in the future. And that's one of the great things about this show, that we are talking about things happening now. And um, we have a question here from one of the listeners that I'll go ahead and ask you, Woody, okay? Okay. All right. Regarding uh, Rand Paul's proposed amendment, will not, will it not give us an idea of who is self-serving? If they don't vote for it, then we'll have um, they will have a hard time during re-election, and that's from Sierra. Right. Uh, it it would uh, go against some um, this um, people are already waking up to the. Uh, problems of the national debt uh, and overspending and entitlement programs. They are beginning mm -hmm. to wake up to that. And in the next several months, as the implementation of the Affordable Care Act continues, the pain is going to be pretty severe. I mean, people's uh, premiums are doubling. People are losing their health insurance. People are losing their doctors. 
They're losing all of the things that the president promised they would not lose. In fact, it was supposed to cost less and be more affordable. And, of course, it's very, very difficult uh, to go to the website and get on it. So as all these problems continue, the Affordable Care Act is going to become more unpopular. And going into the election in November of 2014, the number of Americans who would like to see radical modification or repeal of the Affordable Care Act is going to swell. It's going to be a groundswell. So if we can get people, if we can get, and this thing that Rand Paul's offering, that Congress uh, should be subject to its own law and not be exceptions, you know, you can't force this on all of the American people and and accept yourself. Well, if, if he can force a vote on that, and I really honestly that's an excellent question, but I don't think he can. I think it's just going to die on the speaker, the House, speaker, the excuse me, the majority leader's desk. It'll never come to a vote, and so all those folks that would have voted against it are not forced to go, as we say, on the record, so it cannot be used against them. It's a mm -hmm. brave attempt, and it's been done many times. As a matter of fact, every year somebody proposes a an amendment to the Constitution to require Congress to balance the budget. In other words, they would not be able to spend in the deficit, and the national debt would freeze. It would stop growing. If we did that, then we could start paying it down. And the interest rate, you know, the interest on the debt is 400, 450 billion, half a trillion dollars almost per year. And nobody's even attempting to pay the principal. But um, in answer to that question, and I'm sorry I have to answer it this way, I don't think that Rand Paul's amendment is going to get some media attention. Yes, it will get that, and people will become more aware of it. I think pre people are paying more attention now than they were six months ago, now that things have heated up. And now that they are being required to, to apply for the Affordable Care Act, now that they're seeing their premiums go up and all of those other things, while Congress gets a holiday from that by their own legislation. So it will do all of those things, but I don't think you're going to see a vote on it. So okay. do you think if, if there had not been a stalemate that um, and just allowed the Affordable Care Act to go through, um, you know, without any, any uh, you know, debt reduction, you know, limit spending and all of that stuff, do you think that that would have been the better way to go about it? Because that's been one of the things that has been uh, talked about in the media, that, there, you know, Congress really should have, um, you know, it shouldn't have been this fight between between the two um, political factions. Yeah, I know. Uh, uh, that, that's a really good question, and somebody is uh, doing some deep thinking on the politics of America, but you, you've just got to consider the fact. Uh, we looked at that vote in the House of Representatives, and we saw that there are 136 Republicans that were elected to do what they did. That's what they were elected to do. They are representing the, their constituents. Now, if you if you go around and you're campaigning for office in North Carolina, in the west, in one of the western districts, and you tell people, you give me your vote, and you send me to Congress, I'll do everything I can to stop government spending and to repeal the Affordable Care Act. Now, what if that represent he gets elected? Let's say he goes to the House of Representatives and he changes his mind and and decides to go uh, to go along with uh, the status quo and the implementation and the law that's already been passed. Do you think he'll be reelected? Not not a chance. He'll be thrown out in a second, and he should be because he betrayed the people that elected him. I don't think the House of Representatives had any choice other than to do what they did, and there was. Now, they could have started with this. Let's say a, a continuing resolution plus a conference committee to examine the problems of the Affordable Care Act and try to solve them together. Okay, that would have been more, more acceptable to the Senate and maybe even to the President. But Republicans, these Republicans... They really, truly are Tea Party Republicans. 
they were not elected to do to compromise. They were elected to cut spending, cut the national debt, cut deficit spending by Congress, and repeal the Affordable Care Act. They were doing what they had to do. The American people spoke in the election of 2010, and that was one of the greatest turnovers of seats in American congressional election history. Mm-hmm. And chances are we're going to see even more of that in 2014 as the Affordable Care Act becomes increasingly unpopular. Okay. And then there is a comment here about uh, the Senate numbers that said um, Corian and NZ, is that how you pronounce it, E-N-Z-I, were just uh, voting to have a record showing they voted against it being the Affordable Care Act. Um, as they are facing strong conservatives in the primaries coming up in 2014, looking at the whole record, you will not legitimately include them as true conservatives, bringing the Senate numbers down from 18 to 16. Possibly. So, yeah, it's just Possibly. a comment there. Uh, that mm-hmm. is speculative, and it's uh, and again, it does represent very sharp and incisive thinking. I'm really glad to see you students doing that. Okay, and and, uh, here's another um, student who's got another comment um, that bothers her. She said, uh, there's a report today that non-for-profit charitable hospitals will be fined if they treat uninsured children as it discourages people from signing up for Obamacare. This could throw um, their, okay, this could, throw their nonprofit status into question under the new IRS rule set out. Um, what are your thoughts on this? And then she said, uh, so much for helping out the poor people as they will be turned away um, or money that, that could be used for care will instead go toward fines and may even close some of these hospitals like St. Jude's. And this really bothers me. Right, and I'm, I am not surprised to hear that at all. Um, you know, the unbridled use of power by the government that is established in Washington, D.C., is appalling and it is also frightening. And that they would punish people. They've already indicated that. They did that in the Affordable Care Act. But now they're making executive decisions to punish people. Um, in, in this particular case, and this is just one case, that don't want to play along and with the Affordable Care Act and its basic mandates. They're basically trying to force everybody in this country eventually into this system. Now, there are some that um, uh, are more wealthy that will be able to buy their own insurance plan for now. But you watch in three, four, or five years, and that's going to become increasingly difficult to do. And one of the things the Affordable Care Act is doing is just drawing into its web all insurance companies, hospitals and uh, hostels and clinics, and, and so it's just drawing them into their web. And in order to do that, they use executive weapons to, fu- to punish or to frighten people into their web. So no surprise at all. In fact, you're going to hear more reports of this kind as the implementation continues. It, like okay. I said, it, to me, I find it very frightening. I grew up in a free country, and I, wow, where these guys are going is just nothing. When I was a young person, when I was your age, that's nothing I ever expected to see. Yeah, very sad. Very yes, sad. It is. Um, there's a link that's been included here that I will uh, place on the website um, when you go when you're listening to this audio. If you're listening to it via RSS feed or iTunes, uh, you can go to the web st- website, <clears throat> current issues, and and theconstitution.com and look uh, for this one um, that. Uh, that uh, let's see, I don't even know what we're calling it yet. Um, each of these shows has a um, a post, and on that post there is information. So um, there'll be a link to um, AmericanOverlook.com 
that has uh, the information about the um, Obama fines and so forth. Americans so, Overlooked? Yes. Dot Ameri- com. It, okay. There's no S. It's American um, oh. Over Overlook.com, all singular. So American Overlook.com. And then um, there was a, a very long link after that that uh, had that article. But I'll put it in the post for today. So okay. I'm probably going to call it um, Aftermath or something like that uh, in the title. <laughs> so just look for that. <laughs> we'll, we'll figure yep. out what we're titling this show afterwards. Uh, we, we tend to because there's so much good information here and uh, uh, we don't always know ahead of time. So um, because it is it is current current issues and current events. So, um, you know, that's thank you very much for that link. Appreciate yeah. it, Sierra. Okay. Okay, and the, uh, the reason I chuckled when you said aftermath is that's the um, topic of my last section here, the aftermath. Oh, funny. In fact, it would be a good name for the show. Um, right. Very, uh, very quickly, we don't have much time. Um, the aftermath of this stalemate, between the House of Representatives and the Senate with the President weighing in and the whole liberal community yelling and screeching and calling names and all of that. It has basically settled down. It's quiet now. People are being polite again. And um, there, But, however, there are consequences, and together the aftermath. Right now, 74% of the American people, 74%, that's a super majority. You rarely see Americans, you know, Americans believe this, Americans believe that. It's usually 48%, 52%. This is 74% would like to see most congressmen defeated in the election of 2014. So there's a great deal of unhappiness amongst the American people. Now, is that going to continue? Are they going to settle down and forget about it? Or are they going to come raging and roaring into the election of 2014? Uh, it's very dynamic, and we will see what happens. Now, a lot of those people are mad at Republicans, about 9% more than those that are angry with Democrats. But both groups are very unpopular and, and uh, pretty much under 40% in polls. And the president himself has shown approval ratings as low as 36%, which is as low as George Bush ever was uh, back in those back in his days. So the whole government is very unpopular right now, and that is an encouraging thing. Um, Government is not something that we treasure. We don't bow down to government. Government's job is to serve us, to protect our rights. And the American people are seeing that they are abusing us. They are threatening us. They are inflicting pain on us. And they are allowing the national debt to threaten the future existence of this nation, a national debt which will guarantee that you young people are not going to live as well as your parents did. You simply will not be able to afford it. And this Affordable Care Act, wow, this is a mega entitlement program that's going to prove to be even greater and in many cases worse than anything we've seen before. So that is part part of the consequence. Another uh, point is that taxpayers will pay subsidies uh, on Congress's health care plan. And if the Paul Amendment has any effect at all, maybe uh, congressmen will vote to be, treat, treat themselves the same way they treat the citizens of the United States, the pressure. Uh, could force them to do that. The national debt will continue to soar. It's growing at about three to three and a half billion dollars a day, and it will continue to grow. It's now over 17 trillion, and the next hurdle, high hurdle, is 18 trillion. So please go to that um, website. Just get a search engine and, and type in U.S. Debt Clock, and it will come right up. And study it. Now, by the way, if you take your cursor and you put it on the section, there are several different uh, um, examples of debt and debt-related areas. But if you put your cursor right on top of any one of those, 
look up at the top in the center and it will define it for you. Now, some of those things you're not going to understand. You can find the definition real quick up at the top. In the upper left-hand corner, is you'll see the national debt real-time. Uh, it's being tracked um, by computers. Right here in my hometown, Parkersburg, West Virginia, where the National uh, Debt Office is located, they are tracking the constant growth, and it's just, I mean, those numbers are just clicking and turning and clicking and turning uh, like crazy as the national debt grows and grows and grows. Then find the national debt, and notice that it is increasing slower than is the national debt. So the day will come when the United States government, regardless of what Congress does, regardless of what the president, they will be helpless. The national government of the United States will default. That time will come. And, um, of course, as a result of the compromise resolution, the Affordable Care Act and its mangled implementation will continue. So basically, Congress takes a vacation, and uh, these problems will go on. Hopefully, there, uh, something will be accomplished by that conference committee, but my personal outlook, based on many years of watching these guys, is skeptical. I don't think the conference committee is going to make a difference that is significant. I don't think they're going to freeze the Affordable Care Act. I don't think they're going to do anything to limit government spending to the extent that it could do something about stopping the growth of the national debt. But let's watch and see, and uh, maybe a miracle will occur. And that will wrap it up for today. Thank you for your excellent questions. All right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And we'll pick up next week. All right, please. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Current Issues in the Constitution. If you'd like to join us live, visit our show page on ultimatehomeschoolradionetwork.com. And for more information about Professor Wilson's classes, visit AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com. See you next week.